Christ. Let's take our Bibles and let's head for our Bible study to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. If you join me there for our series that we're talking about David and what the Lord had done in his heart. While you're turning there, let me do a little bit of a question survey with you. What do you want to be when you grow up? There's a survey that was taken a couple of years ago by a number of young people who are in the elementary age. And so I'm going to ask you to see if you can figure out what they said. What were the top 10 career choices by the kids in elementary school saying, this is what I want to become? What do you think they were? Policeman? Fireman? Teacher? What's that? Something keeper. A YouTuber. Okay, just to give you, just to put it in perspective, some of the kids, they said they wanted to be garbage collectors. I'm sure that didn't thrill their moms. One, one child responded, I want to be an ice cream scooper for Baskin Robbins. Probably not the highest career goal, okay? Anybody else, any other thoughts? Sports, what'd you say? An athlete? Here's what the kids said. And these are in order for the top 10, 10 on up. Police officer, detective, musician, singers, actor, actress, scientist, firefighter, astronaut, doctor or nurse, veterinarian, teacher, and number one was professional athlete. Okay, now the question is, how many adults from years ago completed that survey and they achieved their goal? Do you want to take a percentage of what do you think it is? Adults who got the, what they wanted when they were in elementary age? It's right around 10%. 10, I thought that was pretty high. Okay, 10%. 10% of the folk. Now, David is one of those. We're getting 2 Samuel chapter 7. David is one of those who has a dream. And his dream is of building a temple for God. But it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. We're starting in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And the first three verses, if I were to entitle this and break it down verse by verse, I would call it David's request. We read in 2 Samuel chapter 7 of how David goes before Nathan and he says, It came to pass when the king sat in his house and the Lord had given him rest about all of his enemies, that the king said unto Nathan the prophet, See now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells within curtains. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now the when of this is very clear. It's when he has been established as the king. Now there's a debate exactly of how this, how many years went by after he defeated the major enemies. There's going to be more wars to follow. But this is when David is in, in control. He is, he is situated. He is settled. And something, some people think that it's maybe five years into his rule. Some ten. Some into saying 15 years into his 30 to 40 year rule depending on which number you're going to take over all of Israel or just over the southern nation. But David is settled. He has this desire. And the question to my mind is why? Why does he want to do I found this extremely interesting to just reflect on this. Remember, David has a real burden for the worship of God. Chapter 6 was all about, let's get the Ark of the Covenant. Bring it to Jerusalem where David had designed a tent and had this place all set. It wasn't the temple, but he had this, this tent that was going to be the new home for the Ark of the Covenant that had been laid away, had been put aside into storage for the last 70 years. David also is really interested in getting the sacrificial systems, getting the uh, temple all up and running, the, the, yeah, this, the, the 
the temple activities, I should say, the tabernacle activities. Because if you read in the book of Chronicles, you'll read that he started establishing a rotation of the priests. And so he's got this whole group of priests that are starting to work at the tent. He's got musicians. He's got people who are guarding. And my question is, what are they guarding? Well, I didn't know this, but in my study I came across a text that talks about in First Chronicles that already for a period of time money has been put aside from all the way back to Samuel, the prophet, all the way through Saul's rule, and now up into David's rule, Joab, Abner, it says in that text. They are, whatever they're collecting in battle, they're starting to put away into storage for a future building program. It's kind of like what churches do. You put, it's kind of like what you do in your home. You have a building project coming up and you're putting money aside, laying it, laying it in storage for that program, even though it may cost you more eventually to do it. But they were planning on it now for a number of decades. And so David comes along and David says, hey, I want to be the one that gets this done. It's been on our heart. I want to, I want to, got the, ta- the, the tent here. We've got the, the Ark of the Covenant. Let's get this temple built. And when he's standing there, and he's, he's looking around. He says, hey, wait a minute. I got a house that's made out of cedar. I've got this permanent residency that Hiram helped give me, Second Samuel chapter 5. It was a gift from King Hiram to build his house. And David is saying, I've got a permanent residency. God's in a tent. God's ark is in the tent. I really want to build this. I want to do something phenomenal, amazing for the Lord. And so he goes to his, his counselor, first time we are introduced to Nathan, and he says, Nathan, what do you think about it? And Nathan says, great idea. Sounds like a plan. Go for it. Do all that is in your heart. But then what happens here is they forget something. What do you notice that in the conversation that's, that's not there? They don't go to God. They don't stop and say, hey, God, what do you think? Now, we would never do that. We would never get excited about something and run ahead of the Lord. Okay, but David did. And so the next section of the, of the chapter, I would, encounter, encounter, uh, would entitle it God's Refusal, where God says that very night, God comes to Nathan and says, hey, Nathan, I want you to go back to David, and I want you to tell David I want you to tell him that he's not supposed to be building me this tabernacle, this temple. And in the vision that God gives Nathan, he says, thus saith the Lord, go back and tell him that you have this dream, you have this, this desire, you have this plan, this want to, but you're, you're not going to do it. I don't want you to be the one. And so we read in the text that immediately the next morning, as soon as possible, Nathan runs back in and... How's he going to tell the king now, hey, I was mistaken. I'm God's voice to you, but I was wrong. He, whatever he says and how he starts off the conversation, he goes and tells David, God doesn't want you to fulfill your dream. Have you ever had that happen? Have you ever had your heart set on a certain job? And this was going to be your job. You were sure you were going to get the promotion. You were sure you were going to get the job. And all of a sudden, God says, no, and it's not yours. Maybe it's this. Maybe you said, hey, I'm going to go to that school. And I'm going, to, I'm going to apply for that scholarship at that school. And I'm going to go there, and this is what I really think I'm, I'm supposed to be doing. I'm going to go to that university, that school. And God says, no. And all of a sudden, plans are disrupted. Or the scholarship, you're, that's how you're going to get there, and you're going to afford it. And you don't get it. Maybe for some of you, it's the idea that, hey, I really want to be married. 
I want to have a family. And God says, no. And here you are going through life by yourself without that significant other. Or, or maybe it's this. Maybe you really wanted to have children. And God said no. Maybe the no came by a miscarriage. Maybe the no came by never even being able to get pregnant. What do you do? What do you do when all of a sudden you plan no more kids and God said no to that? And you're surprised. Maybe it's twins on top of it. What about this? You're planning a move. You want to relocate. Your heart, you're, you're just, this, this is going to really work out for your family, and God says no. Or that promotion of the job. Or maybe you wanted to go and serve the Lord in some capacity. I'm going to go to the mission field. And you really were sold out to God. You really wanted to do this for the Lord. And it never came to pass. And God said no. Or maybe you, you, you really love sports. Maybe you're like, Pastor Ryan, one of our youth pastors years ago, he loved basketball. And so he sat on the bench the, you know, during his freshman year and his sophomore year, and he got into the games frequently during his junior year, but now he was going to be the starter his senior year. And he was so excited. He shared how that was, that was the thing that was really important to him, being on the starting team, and he was going to be the captain of the team on, on top of it. And in one of the first practices, he blew out his knee his senior year. He said it was devastating. As a 17-year-old, all of a sudden, I couldn't play that which I wanted to do. God said no. Or, or maybe God said no to you experiencing good health. You try to keep fit, but the fitness is gone. Or maybe God said this, no to you. You wanted more time with that family member. You wanted that spouse around a lot longer. You wanted that child or you wanted that parent or that sibling. And God said no. You had this dream of what it would be like to be able to have retirement together. What do you do? What happens to you when God says no? Let me put it in perspective for David. I want you to understand this. That in David's case, when God said no to David... It wasn't because David was asking or doing something wrong. This isn't a disciplinary measure. We read in another passage where Solomon writes later, he says, when my dad came before God and wanted to do this, the response was, as it was in your heart to build a house for my name, you did well. You wanted to do something that I'm not, a, I, I, I'm not disciplining you for. You weren't wrong in wanting to have this desire, this goal. I'm not punishing you, David. I'm telling you no. But it's not because of chastisement. So let's get that corrected. David isn't being punished or spanked or chastised. It wasn't because God is angry with David for some reason. That's not the case at all. Because if you read the next few verses... When God says, here's what I think of David. Watch what, in the very same context, it says it came to pass that night, the word came unto Nathan. And then we read what God thinks about David. He makes this comment that he says, now therefore, verse 8, so shall you say to my, my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfolds, from following the sheep, 
to become ruler over my people, over Israel. I have been with you whithersoever you go, and have cut off all your enemies out of your sight, and have made you a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and will plant them, that they may dwell in a place of their own, and move no more. Neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more." as before time, as since the time that I commanded the judges to be over my people and have caused thee to rest from all your enemies, also the Lord tells you that he will make of you a great house. God's not mad at David. God's not upset with David. He just rehearsed for David, I've been with you. I've helped you. I've promoted you. I'm not punishing you by saying no. And then we read what happens in the next few verses. This is called the Davidic covenant, this section of Scripture, where God promises David and his generations tremendous blessings, where God says, I'm going to bless you, David. Even though I'm not going to allow you to build the house, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great house. You want to build me a house? I'm going to build you one instead. And what we read in the next few verses in this tremendous, the tremendous section, God says, I'm going to make you to live in a land, your generations, that's permanent, the land of Israel. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bless you, David, even after you're dead. What I'm going to do is I'm going to have your sons rule, and I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to help them, and I'm going to establish your kingdom forever. By the way, this is projecting all the way to the coming Messiah. This is foretelling that Messiah will come from David's loins out of his generations. And then he says, your son that will succeed you. I will be like a father to him. I will care for him. And he makes the comment. He says, I will never break the covenant. I will never break this, this agreement with you like I broke the one with Saul because Saul sinned. Even if your son commits iniquity, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to go back on the, my word at this moment. I'm making a permanent covenant with you, David, that your son will rule, and his son, and his son, and his son, until Messiah comes. And so your household, your dynasty will be a forever, David, which thrilled David's heart. And so when God is speaking to David, he's making it clear, I'm not against you. I'm not mad at you, but here's why. Here's why I'm not going to let you build the house. And it's very clear in the text. He says to him in verses 5 and 6, look at it. God says, I've never lived in a house before. It's not that you need to make one for me. I, I, I've never lived in one. Since the time I took the, the Jews out of Egypt, I've lived in a tent. And I've been content. And when they finally do build a house, Solomon says the, the, all the, the world, all the, all the heavens could not even contain God. So God just says very simply, one, I don't need it. It's a good idea, but I don't need it. And then God says to him, I never commanded you to build this. I never told anybody they have to build me a house. Isn't it interesting that the man after God's own heart wanted to do something really special for God that God never asked him to do? Boy, that, that, might, that might put it in perspective. Why is he called a man after God's own heart? He wanted to do something for God that God never asked him to do. He was going the extra, extra miles for God. Well, God says, I never commanded you to do this. And he says, your son's going to be the one to build it. Not only here, but in the parallel passages, it's very clear that when he talks about, about this uh, to Nathan, he says, David won't, but his son, his son is going to be Solomon. 
only later on in David's life, only later on towards the end of his life, do we find this fact out, that the Lord came to David. Now, I don't know when it happened, because in the story when it first happened, God came to Nathan. Nathan gave David the message. But David says later on, God did come to me. And God told me that the word of the Lord came unto me. Maybe this was days later. Maybe it was the same night. Maybe it was years later. I don't know. Neither do you. But God eventually came to David, and this direct message that came to David was this. You have shed blood abundantly. You have made great wars. You shall not build my house unto my name because you have shed blood. It's not a punishment. But God says my house of peace is going to be built by a man of peace, Solomon. And so we have those reasons that God has given David. And David is told, you can't build. His dream is shattered. And he's told, now, now in reality, what this is, this really isn't a refusal. This is a redirection. When God said, no, I'm redirecting you. I'm changing what you want to do. That happens sometimes when God says no about kids. God is trying to redirect. When God says no about a job, he's trying to redirect. When God says no about marriage, he's trying to redirect. When God says no about long life with somebody, he's trying to redirect. It's kind of like the situation that a pastor found himself just to see when he went to visit this cathedral in France, Paris, France, where it's the, it's the cathedral of the saints. And he said he was on the outside of this building, and he saw it was kind of okay, nice, beautiful, but it didn't really wow him until he stepped inside. When he went inside, all of a sudden those windows came alive as the light came shining through. Didn't see it from the outside. But he says all of a sudden with all the sun coming in, from the inside he could see how beautiful it was. That's kind of the way our lives are. Sometimes when we stand apart and just look from the outside, when we look at events and don't get the light of God to help direct, it kind of looks drab. It kind of doesn't thrill us. But when all of a sudden the light of God dawns upon us and shows what he's doing, it is amazing the masterpiece that he is doing with your life. But sometimes we just want to stay on the outside. We don't want to get in the middle where God's light is shining. We want our way. And in David's case, God is saying to him, Hey, David, you know, although you want to really build me a house, the real blessing here is I'm going to build you one. You, you, want, to be, you want to bless me? I'm going to bless you. So I'm saying no to you. I'm not letting you have your dream. I'm not against you, David. I'm all for you. I'm, I'm really with you. Now the key is, what do you do? What do you do if you're a David? What do you do if God says no to the kids? What are you doing when God says no to the job? How do you respond when God says no, not sports this year? How do you, know, how do you act when God says no to going and serving in some capacity? Starting a business, selling a home, buying a home, being able to do something. For, how do you respond? This is the key of being a person after God's own heart. How do you respond when God says no? It's easy to serve God when God says yes, when everything's going your way. But when it's not going the way you want it, 
That's the test of your real character, your spiritual character. And as we go through David's life and his response, I want you to see how he responds in a very simplistic fashion to when God says no. Let me read the conversation to you. When David is told the the next day, God said no. We read in verse 18 an amazing passage, phenomenal passage, where David, by the way, this is the second longest recorded conversation that David has that's recorded in Scripture. It says in verse 18, Then went King David in, into the tent where the ark was, where they had worship set up. And what does he do? What's the posture he takes? He sat before the Lord. What would you expect to see? Standing, kneeling, bowing. It's the only time we have in Scripture where somebody sits in the presence of God. What's that tell you? It says, Then went day King David in and sat before the Lord, and he said, Who am I, O Lord God? What is my house that you have brought me hitherto? And this was yet a small thing in your sight, O Lord God. But you have spoken also of thy servant's house for a great while to come. And is this the manner of man, O Lord God? And what can David say more unto you? For you, Lord God, you know thy servant. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. Wherefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like you, neither is there any God beside you. According to all that we have heard with our ears, and what nation in the earth is like your people? even like Israel, whom God went to redeem for a people to himself and to make him a name and to do for you great things and majestic things for thy land and before thy people, which you redeemed to yourself from Egypt, from the nations and their gods. For thou hast confirmed to thyself thy people Israel to be a people unto you forever. And thou, Lord, art become their God. And now, O Lord God, the word you have spoken concerning thy servant and concerning his house, please establish it forever and do as you have said. Let thy name be magnified forever, saying, The Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. And let the house of thy servant David be established before you. For thou, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, you have revealed to thy servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore has thy servant found in his heart to pray this prayer unto thee. Now, O Lord God, you are God, and thy words be true, and thou hast promised this goodness unto thy servant. Therefore now let it please thee to bless the house of your servant, that it may continue forever before thee. For thou, O Lord God, hast spoken it, And with thy blessing, let the house of thy servant be blessed forever. Do you want to see what he does? First thing he does is worship. As soon as God says no, not bitterness, not anger, he goes in and he sits before the Lord. Like a friend would sit with a friend and be comfortable to talk with them. Where he goes in and he talks and he isn't angry with God. He isn't resentful with God. He isn't trying to beat down the door that God has just closed. He goes in, and he gives praise and glory. He's not, he's not pouting and going to his room, to his palace, and getting mad at God. He goes and sits, talks with God, worships, gives God this glory, and time and again is saying, you are 
the most amazing. Secondly, what do I see in there? Not only worship, I see a humility. An attitude of great humility. How do I get that? Because David makes this comment. He poses a series of questions. The questions go like this. Who am I? Who am I? What is my family lineage? We aren't royalty. You've made us royalty. Who am I that I deserve all that you have done in the past and all that you are doing in the future? And instead of being mad, resentful, he's recognizing that everything he has achieved is because of God. That it was God that made him to become king. It was God that's protected him. It's God that's provided. It's not him in his own greatness, his own wisdom. He doesn't deserve God giving him his dream because he is so special. He just, in a humble fashion, says, God, you have blessed me and I didn't deserve it. I don't deserve you giving my dreams. What you gave me is just, it's amazing. Now, when God says no to you, do you ever pause and reflect on how gracious he has already been to you? how he has already blessed you abundantly? Why have you even allowed me to be in your family? Why have you even made me a prince in your kingdom? Instead of you having to give me more, I'm amazed you gave me what you have. Humility. Humility. He still feels extremely blessed when God says no. Give you something else. There's gratitude. Didn't it flow out of the text already? When you look and see, God, what you have done, you are so amazing. Even though God says no to his dream, he is thankful for those blessings that God has given him. And David comes to a point, he says, wow. Wow, it's amazing. It's a small thing. What you have already given me is such a small thing compared to what you've done. And I'm going to praise you for what you've given me already. It, it, it just it blows my mind. He recognizes that it's God. He says this comment, what more can I say? What more can I say at this moment? I am so dumbfounded by your blessings. Have you ever? Have you ever come to the point where you are so grateful and moved by God's blessings, you choke up? You can't sing? You can't speak because you recognize God has been so merciful to you and me that he has not given us what we deserve for our sins. He has removed them as far as the east is from the west. We are humbled. We are grateful for his mercies, for his grace and goodness. You know, have you ever given so much gratitude to God that all of a sudden you're running out of things to be thankful for. You have, you have covered the gamut of all the things you can thank God for. Most of us have never done that. Most of us, when we run into prayer, we're done in seconds. Our praise, if it takes if it takes 20% of our prayers, we're doing good. And we forget to just pause and thank God for the things he has done. I mean, 
Have you ever reflected backwards and in praise to God and gratitude, thank you that you allowed me to read? Without reading, where would you be? Thank you for allowing me to be in the family that I grew up in. Thank you for allowing me to live in America. You can, you can cry about, and we all do, we're all upset about things as they're going, but we are still better off than the world. That's why they keep on coming to America. Have you ever stopped and said, God, thank you for putting the Bible in print or online or the technology? God, thank you. This is me for years that I never thanked God for, but I owed it to him greatly. Thank you for allowing somebody to manufacture glasses. Otherwise, I couldn't see. I mean, have you thanked God for your hearing aid? Have you thanked God for your job? I don't think most of us, we've ever said that there's nothing more I can speak. Because we usually don't respond with such gratitude. David, he breaks out in praises. He is so moved with gratitude. Oh, Lord God, there's nobody like you. There's nobody like you. Most of the time when we come to worship, Instead of being enamored by God, we're more focused on when are we going to be done. We want to move things along. And David is just overwhelmed. God, you told me, no, I can't do something I want. Therefore, I'm going to come and just sit here with you. And I'm going to talk with you face to face. And I'm going to worship you. I'm going to thank you for all the things you have done, even though you told me no. Even though you said, I cannot do something I want to do. I'm going to be grateful. Are you? Are you right now able to say before God whom you're sitting before because where two or three are gathered, he's in the midst. Are you right now able to say to God, God, you know that I have a grateful heart. Instead, David responds when he's told no with surrender. It is interesting in this text that I just read that David doesn't pout. He doesn't grab uh, the hammer and that, that he could smash that door that God has closed to get it open. But that's where most of us would be. Most of us, when God says no, we'll keep on pushing. We'll keep on rattling that knob. We, for some reason, we're going to really press the issue to get our way, not David. Nor does David say, well, God, if you let me... I will. He's not bargaining with God. Rather you see an acceptable, an acceptance, I should say, by a submissive spirit. Not, a, not an argument. Not an anger. But an acceptance. An acceptance that I may not get married. An acceptance that we may not live together long. An acceptance that I won't have the career that I want. How do I know that from David's life? In this passage, seven times, he says, Lord God, ruler, master. As well, ten times he says, I'm your servant. Your servant. Your servant. Your servant. Do you view God as the master, controller, of the events in your life 
while at the same moment view yourself as a servant of his. Submission. Even though he's in a position of authority. Even though he could argue, I've done a lot for you, God. Please, you owe me. Doesn't do it. Doesn't go there. Just says, God, you are in charge. I'm following your plan. Oh, and let's add this. At your pace. It's not only, it's not only good for us to be submissive to God's plan, but we need to be submissive, submissive to God's timing. You see, there's, um, there's times where we want to rush things. There's a pastor that I read frequently who shared that when years ago he had twin sons, that these twin boys, everything happened together, you know, within the same days, events as they were growing. And all of a sudden, they hit a time in their life where things didn't happen at the same moment to both of them. It was when they got the ripe old age of kindergarten. There they go to kindergarten, and the kids started to interact with other kids, and they came home one day. They were so amazed that one of the girls in their class had a loose tooth. And they confirmed it. Everybody in class wiggled her tooth during recess. And the boys were like, y'all, wow, that was amazing. This girl had, nobody else in the class had a loose tooth. And mom and dad were talking at supper with them and said, well, your teeth are going to get loose. Really? Our teeth will get loose too? Ooh, cool. Yeah, here they are, little kids, looking forward to losing teeth as we get older. Want to keep them all. (laughs) So the little kids were all excited. So one evening, a couple nights later, one of the twins announced, my tooth is loose. Sure enough, it was. The boys both checked it out. Mom and dad checked it out. And when they were putting the kids to bed, the other twin broke out in sobs, crying. Unconsolable child. My tooth isn't loose. I'm not like my brother. They got him calmed down, and it was amazing. Through the next 10 hours of sleep and working his tooth, he woke up the next morning and came out and said, my loose loose tooth. Okay, you know what I said. Okay. And sure enough. But then, a couple days later, other kids started losing a second tooth and a third tooth. So they're driving to school. This has been the topic of conversation, losing teeth. When are they going to lose teeth like the other kids? And the one whose teeth were still good except for the one that he worked, he all of a sudden broke out crying again right when they got to school. I don't want to go to school. I'm the only one that doesn't have loose teeth. The pastor said, I went into emergency pastoral counseling with my son, trying to get him to calm down about loose tooth. Hey, folk, you don't get upset anymore about your teeth. But maybe you're getting just as upset about a job payments, events in your life. We just mature out of teeth to some other stuff that we say, God, why isn't it happening to me now? David, in a surrendered heart, he just says, God, it's your time. It's your plan. It's your pace. But then he prays. The worship is involved, but he prays. We've already read it. God has given him promises Did you notice how many times he says, I'm going to pray now. I'm going to pray that you fulfill those promises. I'm going to pray that you bless them in a special way. 
that, that he's looking forward and saying, God, I still believe, even though you said no, I still believe that you are going to keep your word. I still trust you. I still want you to lead and guide. And I want you to bless my family. In the very area that, that, that you promised, please help things to work out. Help things. You know, here he is. He's claiming the promises that God has made, though God has said no. He's forgotten his dream, and he's saying, now I'm going to look forward to the promises. I'm going to look forward to what you, what you said for tomorrow, for next week, next month, next generation, for the future. And, and God, I, I'm praying right now, help them to be fulfilled. Help them to come to pass. Help my son to do his thing. He didn't. He didn't stop doubting God. He didn't start saying, God, just because you told me no, I'm not going to believe you anymore. He didn't do that. In, in fact, he all of a sudden turns his focus on the future and what God has for, in store for him ahead. Has God given you any promises about the future? Yes, no? I, I don't mean to wake you up, okay? <laughs> did, did God promise you anything about the future, folk? Okay, so when he says no about something right now, does he still fulfill his promises in the future? Let's focus our minds on the future. Let's stop getting all upset and and harboring and anchoring into the dream that is shattered and let's say, let's move forward. Let's move forward. What does God have for me in the future? How can I better fulfill my part in those promises. God, please bless, bless in this idea. You promised me a home in heaven. Okay? You said no to a house here that I really wanted, but you said I'm going to have a home in heaven. Help me to decorate that home right now by being a faithful witness, by doing the labors I'm supposed to, by living a pure life so that I can send investments to reap reward in that future home. God, you told me no to kids. But you said that I can still be a blessing to other people. Help me to bless other individuals. God, you said no, that we're not going to have years and years and years ahead together. You're saying no. We can tell by the, med- by the medical field. We can tell by broken health. But you promised that you would answer my prayer. So I'm going to pray for people to get saved. I'm, instead of pouting, I'm going to pray. And I'm going to minister. And I'm going to be an encouragement. God, you said you would use me. So what you do is you get involved, praying. And then let's look at this, service. Service. What did David do? Oh, my word. That David is told you cannot build the project, you cannot build the temple, but the scriptures clearly teach us he got involved with prepping for it. All of a sudden, David goes into high gear. And we read about it when we take our Bibles and we go to Second Chronicles. Second Chronicles, that's all the way to your right, a few books. Second Chronicles, and we start reading about some of the things that David put aside and how he worked. And I want you just to see his attitude here as we get into the book of Second Chronicles. Oh, you know what? I put up second and I want first. I'm sorry. I thought I had changed that. First Chronicles. Okay, if you're in second, it's just before that, okay? <laughs> first Chronicles. Look at his attitude. Look at his attitude. Chapter 22. This is rehearsing the same, the same accounts. 
Okay, verse, chapter 22, verse 1. Then David said, this is the house of the Lord God. This is the altar of the burnt offering. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel. And he set masons to start hewing the stones to build the house of God. He can't build it, but he can prep for it. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails for the doors of the gates. Wouldn't have thought about that, would we? Need nails to do the job. Okay, and he got the, he says, the brass in abundance without weight. The cedar trees in abundance for the Zidonians, and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon, my son, is young. He's inexperienced. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical. Doesn't that sound weird? Magnifical. I love the word. Okay of fame and of glory throughout all the countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared. Anybody have any word that comes next? He got into it. He got into it big time. Over the next 20 years, he's throwing himself into the project. He's not pouting. He's not upset that somebody else is going to do it. He's not bitter that somebody else took his place on the front line of the, of the team. He's not upset that somebody else got the first chair. Instead, he's doing what he can to help out with the project. And when you read 2 uh, you read, uh, I kept on putting 2 Chronicles. It's 1 Chronicles, I'm sorry. When you keep on reading in chapter 23, do you remember he had 24,000 priests already lined up? Now he trains a whole group of other ones. He gets 38,000 priests. Instead of 4,000 officers, it's 6,000. He's got gatekeepers. He got choir members. And then he gets the money together. He gets the money together and it talks about all the monies and the supplies to the point that by modern age to say how much money did David set aside for this one, one singular building? David set aside up towards the $5 billion that he collected and gave to the temple. Talk about getting involved. David was, he was enthusiastic about the project. Not upset, not bitter, not jealous, but rather here he is. And he writes later on, he says, Now behold in my trouble, the King James reads. It literally is, with great pains, I have prepared for the house of the Lord. He later on, he says, Now have I prepared with all my abilities. I threw myself into the house of God. I have set my affection to the house of the Lord. I have of my own silver gold. I have given to the house of the Lord. This guy got involved. This guy got active, ministering. Now, there was a survey recently done of adults saying to them, asking this idea, what exciting event, activity, hobby are you involved in right now? And the majority of the people said, I'm not. I'm not. But rather, here's how they responded. 90% of the respondents said, I am going to do something I'm planning on getting involved in after I get married or have a child, the kids move out, time to do a trip after I retire. The vast majority of people are not living a dream. They're postponing one. They're just going through life right now, waiting for the moment to come when they'll really engage. David didn't do that. David didn't do that. David threw himself into it. David got, got active, got busy, and he's serving. So when God says no, I want you to keep this in mind. 
When God says no, he isn't making a mistake. He, he knows what he is doing. It doesn't mean he's mad at you, but this rest assured, God has something far better for you. God has something far better for you. You may not understand it until you get inside the cathedral and let the sun shine in. But God has something really, really good for you. And God is working in such a way. Because if you and I stand back from the story and think, if David had built the temple when he wanted to, it would not have been as fabulous. It would not have been as great. But because God said, no, not you, not now, David, in his humility and in his surrendered heart and in his praises and his worship to God, he got active. He contributed so that when it was finally built, it was a tremendous monument to God, not a monument to David. That's how God works. God says no for his glory. And so when God says no to you going somewhere, you, God says no, you aren't going to the ministry. God says no, you aren't going to vocational missions. Well then, fine. Seek to send somebody else. When God says no to a move, that's okay. Then what I'm going to do is I'm going to learn to enjoy the moment I'm living in and serve God right here. When, when God says no to having a child, okay, it's a heartbreak. But that means I can invest in the lives of other children. I can still do that. When God says no to an opportunity, that's okay. It might hurt, it might struggle a bit, but then what you do is you look for another open door. And you still serve. You still do what God wants. If God says no to a new job, you go back to the one you are working at and you work it the way you're supposed to as the witness that God wants you to be there by being honest and having integrity and a cheerful spirit. Let God redirect your path when he says no. Don't pout. Don't, don't insist on your way. Watch what God will do in your life. So this guy's a young man the guy in the white-haired man. When he was young, when he was just 19, he had started off in the family trade. His, his family had come from Scotland, and his dad was a dentist, and he started getting some of that training. But the Spirit of God got a hold of his heart, and he got born again. He wanted to serve the Lord. And as he was growing in his faith, he said, you know what, I think God wants me to be a preacher. And I want to start preaching. So there he was, starting to become a lay preacher as he was doing some training, but within two years, he lost his voice. His vocal cords were damaged. And so this idea of being a preacher, that was put on the shelf. It was devastating. He couldn't talk above a whisper. So he couldn't do what he dreamed of doing. So he and his brand new bride, they needed, he needed to provide for them. So they got married. They moved close to his parents, and he helped his father with the dentistry business. And as a result... He started in experimenting on the side. That what he would do is his church didn't want to use fermented wine. He was going to come up with some method of preserving grape juice without it fermenting. He worked with it, worked with it, worked with it, worked with it. And eventually came up with a method and started selling it to the local churches nearby you know, for just the cost. His son wanted to go to the mission field as years went by. 
And his son really, really tried to get to the mission field, but God kept closing doors, closing doors, closing doors. Didn't understand, I want to serve you, God, in this capacity of going to the mission field to Africa. But the doors were all shut until the son realized, I, I, you know, God has definitely closed doors. Every time I've tried to open them, they're shut. And so he decided, Dad, I'm going to work with you on this process that you just developed. Maybe we can use it with jellies. And they started Welch's company. And that company prospered to the point that probably you have a jar of Welch's somewhere in your house. Neither the dad nor the son were able to fulfill their dream of vocational ministry, but they gave thousands and thousands to others to go. They supported Dozens and dozens of missionaries and churches. Were they successful in serving the Lord? I would say absolutely positively yes. Because they responded the right way when God closed the doors. They responded worship, humility, gratitude, surrender, prayer, service. What about you? Father, I pray. Help me and my friends to have that same type of attitude. When you say no to something this week, this month, this year, help us to remember these thoughts. Help us to respond like a man after God's own heart, like a woman after God's own heart, like a teen after God's own heart. Help us to have that attitude of worship and submission and gratitude humility. Help us to have hearts that will serve and not just pout, not sulk. God, I pray, help us to become people that are truly devoted to you. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed, and nobody is looking around. This is a very private moment. But you would say, Pastor Wayne, this is just what God knew I needed at this moment. Would you pray with me and for me? My heart has been smitten, encouraged, challenged in some special way. Pray that I would live out what we've just discussed. Pray for me, Pastor. Here's my hand. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you, thank you. Yes, yes. Father, I pray for these, my many friends that raise their hands. Help them. Bless them. Encourage them. And use them in a phenomenal way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I didn't preach about it this morning, but, but the Bible tells us very clearly that you must be born again. So I'm going to have Pastor Art come and stand here while we're dismissing here in the next minutes. And if you're here this morning, our invitation to you is very simply this. If you would like to talk to somebody about your spiritual destiny, then come and see Pastor Art. As people are visiting, he will get somebody to talk with you, to show you from the Bible how you can be sure of your eternal destiny. Don't walk out without knowing that. Thanks for being here. Have a blessed day.